All right. This is the New Glarus Brewing Podcast. Welcome back to it. Uh, today we have kind of a really special episode and, and something I'm very excited to talk about with two people I'm actually very excited to do. Uh, to talk to. Um, we are going to be talking about a, a one-off beer that's being brewed for the um, the New Glarus uh, Christmas market that's going to be happening uh, the 2nd through the 4th of December, which will be essentially, you know, the Friday through, I think, Sunday of this the week that this podcast is released. And here to talk about both that beer and the reasons for why we brewed that beer are both Dan and Deb Carey. So I'm feeling very, I'm feeling very special today. How are you guys doing? We're doing great. Doing all right. So the first question I have, and the beer is called uh, Wassail. I am wholly unfamiliar with this. I, you know, I'm not even sure exactly what style it is. Uh, but can you walk us through what this this sort of one-off beer you brewed for this festival is? Well, after last year's Christmas market. Deb came to me and said, you know, we should have something special for next year's festival. So I had 10, 10 months to work on it. And she said, you know, maybe something like a wassail. And uh, a wassail is a, is a mulled uh, mead, uh, uh, ale, or wine, meaning that it's, it's, it's an alcoholic beverage that's been um, steeped in spices mm-hmm. of various types. And normally it's drank warm sometimes people will put a hot poker into it to warm it up and that's kind of nice with beer sometimes that's done in uh in franconia in germany uh with with beer it kind of gives a nice caramely rich flavor to it Mm -hmm. and so that got me thinking about what i wanted to do so i uh we we made a um a stout a strong stout and then we we aged it in uh uh, whiskey barrels, single oh, wow. malt whiskey barrels from actually from our our distillery from um, Sugar River Distillery that it's our whiskey. So we had an empty barrel and we we put it into the barrel to age and we added uh, a mini amount of ground coffee. We added some uh, vanilla and um, uh, we uh, and some chocolate chocolate nibs and we toasted them. And we let it steep until we thought it tasted good, and um, we're gonna have it for the uh, for the festival. So it's it also has a mini amount of Belgian candy sugar mm-hmm. in it. So it's uh, it's very intensely flavored. It's at it's picked up some alcohol in the barrel, so it's at a little over nine percent alcohol, and um, it's very impactful. And yeah. uh, wassails are, you know, kind of, I think it comes from an old Norris word. It's really an English tradition. Um, I think it means kind of to your health. Mm-hmm. So it's just something fun because uh, the Christmas market is in obviously in December and normally it's going to be really cold and uh, it's something to warm you up. Uh, and Deb is going to, um, I think we're also going to have the capability to sprinkle cinnamon on it and it should be fun. Well, that's really cool. And have you tried this beer yet, Deb? Yeah, this is pretty funny because we were trying to come up with a solution for the 
Chris Kindlemart because yeah. they're only allowed to have a couple of liquor licenses a year. So we've already got beer, bacon, cheese, and the Oktoberfest. So yeah. what do you do? So Dan was kind enough to make us the wassail, and he was experimenting with putting the hot poker in it one day. Mm-hmm. And I came down the stairs, and it was like the most overwhelming, like molasses, vanilla, chocolate, like. It was just absolutely euphoric. And I ran into the lab. What are you guys doing? And Dan's like, I'm just trying to figure out how to heat this stuff with a poker. <laughs> and he's got a blowtorch and a piece of stainless. But it is good. It's just a wonderful, wonderful melange of all the fabulous flavors you can imagine for the holidays. And we're going to have fun with it. Now, there's a couple of things to unpack here that I'm, that I'm just very excited about. And this is, this is kind of unique. And, and when we're doing these podcasts is usually I'm, I'm at least baseline familiar with what the beer you're going to talk about, uh, going into it. But the words you use to describe this, this beer that I'm, I'm, I'm sort of coming into blind have got me, you know, really excited to talk to you about, so you put it in, in bourbon barrels. So this is essentially a, a you know, um, single malt whiskey, not bourbon. Okay. Single malt whiskey barrels. So this is essentially a strong whiskey aged stout that's been, that's then just been flavored with these spices and then, and then heated up. In comparison to like, say, you know, other, other big stouts that you've had, how does this sort of, how does sort of this differ from the tradition of like the barrel aged stout, I guess? Uh, well, it's not an imperial stout. Okay. It's a, it's a strong stout. I think it, it started out at like six and a half percent alcohol. So it's a more, <laughs> I guess I could say a little bit more easy drinking than an yeah. imperial stout. It's not incredibly bitter. Uh, it's, balanced and the intent was to have a blank canvas to add the spices to because the important part is it's mold meaning it's it's steeped with spices so we didn't want a uh a a big um you you know viscous uh motor oil stout Mm -hmm. because that would kind of um not really that would clash with the uh with the spices in this case yeah the the sort of the uh the canvas becomes greater than the painting under which it's painted. Yeah, I would say that's fair. So, so Deb, you, you came to, to Dan and said, all right, they had their, their first Christmas market last year. They've come to me. They want us to do something special. How, a, how often does that happen for you when an organization or somebody just kind of comes to you cold and saying, hey, can, can you brew us a special one-off? <laughs> That's funny. It, we get asked to brew special beers pretty regularly. Yeah. The problem is trying to fit them into the production schedule, mm-hmm. but there's a, been a ton of fundraisers. I mean, f- uh, the Brewers Guild did it for the Ukrainians. Um, there's been a whole series of issues. Uh, but anyway, we do what we can. In this particular instance, why it was important to me is that after all these years of living in New Glarus and I was on the Chamber of Commerce for another number of years, um, it's a really interesting community. If you're not familiar with it, there are a ton of festivals and this is how they promote their little town. And where else do you live where you have a bakery, a couple sausage makers, a brewery? I mean, all kinds of wonderful stores to shop in. I mean, we really, oh, the cheesemakers, it's really a great place to come, but they don't have a lot of money. So mm-hmm. in the instance of the 
Christ Kindlemart, which I'm really excited about because it's a big thing in Europe. I've yeah. never been to one, but they look really cool. So we got the fancy little huts and it went very well last year. And we just had to think of something that would help them make some money back for the Chamber of Commerce because yeah. it is expensive to put on festivals. These things don't happen for free. So this was our contribution and we're pretty excited to do it. Well, uh, yeah, and a, cu- and a couple of things there I think are, are very interesting. One, you brought up, you know, sort of the village of New Glarus, and they've this has been your guys' home now for since 1993, and um, you know, the sense of giving back to to this village to help to help be it like sort of a net plus, right, for for being here. I lived here, I think, for about seven or eight years, and what I found very interesting about about this place is. These festivals come up. I mean, if you're here during the summer, these festivals come up every, every if not every weekend, every other weekend. There's, you know, uh, Family Fest and Oktoberfest and Polka Fest and <laughs> Beer, Bacon and Cheese Fest. And the, the calendar just gets really, really stacked. Do, do you find participating in, in all of these uh, to be an enjoyable thing for you? Uh, something you can give back to, to sort of this community? Yeah, uh, I I certainly look forward to it, and I would say that if you go to Germany, to Bavaria, to small villages, or Switzerland, that uh, people have regular small festivals. You know, you think of uh, Europeans, Germans being a little bit dour, but actually they're pretty festive people. Yeah. They like to celebrate, and uh, having all these festivals is a lot of fun. Um, it's a tradition that's been around the, the Wilhelm Tell festival has mm-hmm. been around for many, many, many years. And it's part of the glue that holds the village together. And those cultural things are extremely important to the health yeah. and, um, identity of the village. And for me to go to the Oktoberfest, for example, on a Saturday afternoon when it's kind of relaxed and sit mm-hmm. down with a beer and a pretzel and listen to the polka music, that's a real special thing that you don't find. Uh, you find it yeah. only in Wisconsin and or maybe Pennsylvania, but nowhere else in America. Yeah. And only that's in a, like a, a 30 mile race outside of sort of the, the bigger city. Yeah. So for yeah. me, uh, I really think the festivals are special. Oh, yeah. And it's funny you brought uh, you brought that up and it just triggered a memory for me. And I know you guys travel in Europe and, and stuff t- and, and a lot, too. But I remember uh, home must have been somewhere around 09. I had a friend who was stationed in, in Italy and he, uh, he had a day off and he was like, I'm gonna take you to Slovenia. And it was fall over there. And we're driving through Slovenia and we just stop at a random town. And it's it was one of their fests. And I was just w- walking through the street festival and came across like a um, just a, a random person selling mulled wine. It was like, you got two euro, here's your big glass of hot mulled wine. And so as I'm listening to you describe this, I, I'm sort of getting that sort of vibe of what you guys were going for. That's that's what you were trying to achieve here. Yeah, that's 100% right. When it's really cold out in the deep winter and it's dark uh, and you walk around the center of a village in Europe uh, to find a stand selling mulled wine or mulled beer, uh, it's really kind of nice. It, it, is, it is invigorating on a cold day. <laughs> Yeah. One thing I should say, though, is there'll be lots of things there besides us. 
because there's some fundraisers. Mm -hmm. I know the Swiss church is doing something. There's a group trying to raise money to save the sledding hill in town with Candy Cane Park. And there's a whole series of retailers and then some food truck type things that will be in here in these adorable little alpine huts with lights and things on them and the music going and Santa's around. And there's uh, a lot of good things happening, not just us. But we will be there too. Well, yeah, and I think you touch on a on a pretty good a, a good point there. And one thing I I, I want to ask you about, and I and I am gonna uh, I'm gonna try to get you to sit down with me for a very a very one on one longer form of version of this. But part of your ethos has always been not not as you've grown, not sort of outshining the village, right? Uh, can Can you just tell me a little bit about where that came from, or how you f- first start thinking about because. You know, in my mind, when you look at stuff like this from an outsider's perspective, it's very easy to say, oh, yeah, you throw in the tap room, you throw in the restaurant, you throw in just bring them all to my space and whatever about everybody else. So can you walk me through when you were making that conscious sort of conscious decision not to do that? I think it's the same as everything else uh, that goes along with the ESOP and my idea of flat management that everybody's important and equal. And I just doesn't seem to me, it doesn't fit well with who I am to say, okay, I'm the big shot. I'm going to take all the money. I mean, I don't understand really where this uh, culture of the worship of greed comes from, but it just doesn't feel right to me. Mm-hmm. So when we moved to New Glarus, for one, the brewery was minuscule. I mean, we had old milk tanks, crappy old used pub equipment, um, in a warehouse that was built for the Vietnam War. It was nothing yeah. fancy. So I certainly was not going to be like, everybody come here. <laughs> and then, hey, you bars in town who might serve my beer, you know, you're on your own. So right away, one of the first things I did was, uh, and we still do it now, if you come to the brewery and take a tour or have a taste of beer, you get a coin for a free glass of beer in town. And then the all the bars and restaurants hang on to them and they give them back to us in big sacks and then we pay them for all the beer that people have consumed in their restaurants. And actually, we do it all the way down to Monroe and up to Belleville now too. And I think that that kind of promoting each other, I like to think of, you know, rising tides float all boats kind of thing. It's the same reason that I started the Brewers Guild. If we all do well, we all do well together. Yeah. I think it's also worth mentioning that it's not a one-way street because the village, the, the people in this village have been extremely generous yeah. to oh, us. Yeah. When, Like Deb said, when we started, we really, we didn't have anything. Yeah. And uh, a lot of people came down and helped us. The first day that we came to town, uh, uh, the local tavern had pizza delivered to our house. And that was a really nice thing. And there's been a lot of people that have gone out of their way to be very, very kind to us. So it's, it's been a, it's, we're just returning the favors that people did for us. And that's gotta be, um, that's gotta feel really nice when you're sort of out on a limb and you're, you know, you're unsure of yourself, right? It's, you know, it's 19th, you're starting a business. You don't know if it's going to go, not go. And you get to a place, you don't know if they're going to welcome you, not welcome you or whatever. And to have, you know, the local business sort of have a couple pizzas on us, get settled. That must've been a, that must've been a pretty good feeling for both of you guys. 
Yeah, when we came to town in 93, no one really knew us. Yeah. And uh, certainly, we, you know, we showed up from, we were living in Oregon, we, we showed up and they had no idea who we were. And so they kind of like held back being a small, small village and watched. And they saw us going to work every day, seven days a week, and we were leading from the front. And slowly they started to say, you know, these people are the real deal. Yeah. And uh, people really chipped in and, and helped us. And uh, I'll never forget that. Well, yeah, that's that's all good stuff. And so, you've made a small amount of this beer. How how much how much how much of Wasail have you made for this event? Oh, we made like five barrels. So yeah. it's not uh, we're not gonna it's not gonna be sold out in the market. It's it's a draft beer only for yeah. this festival. So so it's just at the the Christmas market. Five barrels, done. Strong stout. Then it's done. E- yeah, that's exactly right. I I like this idea of of one-offs and I know this stuff sort of you know bubbles up from time to time I mean you're a, a big brewery you have a tap room how do you sort of view the and and in just talking to to you over the the course of the last two months like you're very you take a lot of pains when you're going to design a beer so how do you how do you view it when people ask like well why don't you do more one-offs just for the tap room or how do you uh, approach your concept of like a one-off beer well, as I've said uh, before, uh, selling beer, like Deb always says, if if you don't have a market for your beer, you're just a glorified home brewer. And we can make a lot of beer. Uh, so when we brew something, we have to be able to sell it. Mm-hmm. And so, and that requires um, marketability and also requires um, really clear communication with our wholesalers and retailers. So if we have too many beers, it becomes, the message becomes uh, muddy, mm-hmm. convoluted, and uh, we need a very clear message. Um, yeah. And there's only so much shelf space, and it's particularly in the modern world. So we we do when we do one offs, it's often uh, something to do for fun, and oftentimes we just sell it out of the brewery. Yeah, yeah, that's what I was thinking. Is really we do do a lot of one offs there called the R and D series, <laughs> and we do the beer releases for the Great Taste and other things because. Um, Dan does have a ton of ideas, but we're well over 200 beers at this point, maybe 250. And when we make something that's really fun, we try to make as much of it as we can. So this idea of just making enough for one festival for a couple of days is really unusual. But in this particular instance, um, I just think it's worth it. Christmas is such a wonderful time. And, you know, no matter what's going on, we have so many reasons to be grateful to Mm -hmm. live in this country and be in this community. And it's nice to get out and see your neighbors and spend some time and just like relax for a moment. So that's what we're going to do. Yeah. Just take a moment to do something cool. (laughs) Right. So, I, yeah, I think we've we, we've covered this beer, what it is, what people can expect. Again, it's at the Christmas market, December second through the fourth, I believe. Yep. Um, uh, sorry, go ahead. Nope, it's a Christ Kindle Mart with uh, the Village of New Glare. So it's on the website, and we've shared it already on the brewery website. But uh, it's the Christ Kindle Mart. Cool, very cool. We. Uh, sort of took a break from uh, listener questions last week. So we have a couple that have come up a, a couple of different times uh, just through the email. And I, I, I've sort of just seen them out in the ether, just out there in, in the beer chatter world. Um, so, you know, for the first question, 
It's just simply, why do you choose not to put the alcohol by volume on the bottle or on the packaging? Well, certainly when we brew a beer, we, we, you know, we brew it to, to a given style, for example. Mm -hmm. And so the, the style will tell you sort of the range of the alcohol. And historically, it used to be um, against the law to put alcohol on uh, on beer mm -hmm. and that was the government was keen to keep people from having an arms race with alcohol content and that's kind of where we started and then now of course you can put alcohol on the label but the problem is is that the range is is very very small i think it's more or less plus or minus 0.3 percent and so uh we don't brew to a given alcohol concentration and um over time uh malt crops come in and uh, the alcohol can float. And uh, then a lot of our beers are bottle fermented. And I know of some horror stories from my competitors uh, that have had problems when you bottle ferment a beer that the alcohol content changes. It can change mm -hmm. by 0.3, 0.4% or, or more or less. So uh, it's hard to really uh, determine what the final alcohol will be. Now, the way to fix that is, is to brew a little bit stronger and dilute the beer down yeah. with water. And uh, I, I've worked for a large brewery, and that's kind of how it's done. And then you can hit exactly to brew to a given alcohol content. We don't brew to an alcohol content. We brew to an original gravity. So it's not something that's uh, important to us. It's not something that we want to encourage. Uh, and I would tell people that, and uh, you know, sometimes people write in and say, Hey, what's the alcohol content of spotted cow? And, and we'll verbally tell, or we'll tell them uh, by email. It's, it's five or 5.2% alcohol more or less. Yeah. And, uh, et cetera for all of our beers. And we're happy to tell people, but we don't want to put them on the label because, um, we, we find that, uh, it's best if we stay below the radar when it's dealing with the U.S. government. And if we made a mistake, we would be fined. And I think that it's safer if we um, if we don't. And I would submit that maybe some of the small brewers around that don't have uh, complex machines or the ability to dilute beer are probably not 100% in compliance. And that, that would scare me. Yeah, it's just a risk-reward kind of factor, especially, you know, given what you're saying, it's it's not that you're trying to put on the package. Oh, it's X. It's X ABV. You're you're trying to put in the bottle. It's this profile that I had in mind. Yeah, when we make a gyrator double buck, it's uh, more or less eight percent alcohol. When we mm -hmm. uh, make our Weizen double buck, it's more or less eight percent alcohol. When we make a Pilsner, it's more or less five percent alcohol. And um, I think that that's um, that should suffice. But like I said, if people are curious, please uh, go to our website and sent a question and we're very, very good about, uh, answering them. Yeah, that sounds, that sounds perfectly well-reasoned. <laughs> and, um, so Deb, I'll, I'll probably, uh, sh shoot this one over to you. Cause I know it has, uh, a lot to do with how beer sits in market and comes back and all of that stuff. Um, but why not just a born on date on the package? I know why not. <laughs> So we did try actually having a born on date and a best buy date and some other configurations over the years. And the part that people sometimes don't understand the complicated issue with running a brewery versus running a pub or something is I think there's something like 6,000 places 
that you can buy spotted cow around the state. Yeah. And there's an army it's everywhere. of yeah, people on the street helping us sell it because there's all the wholesalers, they have many people working for them. So it's literally another probably four or five hundred people and their managers all and we're all trying to communicate the same message. Mm-hmm. So the fact of the matter is that beer, depending on the beer style, it has different shelf lives. Spotted cow's shelf life is not as great as, say, Gyrator. Mm-hmm. And there are beers that are literally good laid down, and maybe you want to drink them in a year or two. And everything in between. And we do try to write, or I do try to write, um, little paragraphs on the side to let people know when the beer is best by and to think about laying down this beer and having it later with friends or it's best fresh and make those kinds of comments on there. But when it comes to communicating through this army of people that are selling our beer on the shelves or in their bar and the people, the whole army that has to communicate with those people Simple is better. <laughs> so the code on those boxes is very important. Yeah. It's what we use to rotate the beer. It has nothing to do with freshness. It has nothing to do with shelf life. My job as uh, someone who runs a brewery is to keep the beer moving along. Um, I take my responsibility about providing profit to all levels of this industry very seriously. And it's a difficult thing to do. And I can't do it if one, one beer is good for six months and one beer really needs to be drunk in three months. Yeah. Because it just causes confusion. So there is a complicated code on there. No, I will not tell you what it is. No, don't write me a letter about it. I still am not going to tell you what it is. It is for my team, which is many people, to rotate the beer. And we're really proud of having some of the freshest beer in the market at all times. And you can always call us if you uh, feel like it wasn't up to your standards and we'll make it right. But we get very, very few complaints. And I'm really proud of our sales team. I could add to that that part of the um, bonus paid to, uh, to to wholesalers is keeping the beer rotated and fresh, mm-hmm. and so we we check that so we know and it's yeah. keen it's important. Um, the other two things that are worth mentioning is is we're a very unique brewery in the sense that we only sell in our home state. Yeah, and I don't know of any brewery in the United States that's our size. You know, we sell two hundred forty thousand barrels in our home state. Most breweries sell. Most breweries of our size, they might sell in all 50 states and they might sell in eight countries. So, so if you're shipping beer to England or Ireland, um, uh, having a date code is extremely important mm-hmm. on your beer, especially when you're having a hop forward beer. But since we're in a very controlled environment with a limited amount of wholesalers that Deb communicates with literally on a daily basis, yeah. it's much easier for us to control the beer. And secondly, we spend my job is really all about flavor stability. I spend the by far the majority of my time thinking about how to make a beer more stable, mm-hmm. limiting things like oxygen and manganese and copper and and uh, 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 iron and all of these things that have a negative impact on the beer. Yeah, and our brewery is very very keen in keeping the quality of our beer to the highest possible. Uh, so, uh, uh, quality and and so when brewers say you have to drink our beer you know within a week or two that that's a cop out 
Um, I think a well-made beer, if it's robustly made and someone's considering shelf stability, should have a more than a week or two <laughs> of uh, uh, flavor stability. And so that's kind of why, uh, from my point of view, I feel like we're successful with this plan. Yeah, and and and, and I'm glad you you're answering this question in depth here because as I'm listening to you say it, I, I'm I'm learning things about this process this process too. So. If I were to sort of distill it at what my, what my ears just heard, it was essentially you see customers going out and going, well, this is this this date on here is five six months ago. You're trying to solve that problem for your wholesalers without giving them an extra headache of having to check in with all of their retailers and say, look, where's that spotted cow shipment I sent you, where's that sitting at right now, right? Mm -hmm. Essentially, so that way they can just, it's just sort of off. You have no idea how much work this is. <laughs> we get depletions from the retailers and we can buy the information um, from a couple different services and we do so we can see what's in their warehouse and we can also see what's in the wholesaler's warehouse and then we know what we're making and we really knock ourselves out to make sure that the beer is moving and moving at a rapid pace so that the most of the time, people are drinking beer that's within a few weeks of when we made it. It literally, when they are ready, they package the beer and it's ready to go out the door. There are trucks lined up, and mm -hmm. we also are in charge of our own uh, trucks. So, I mean, they're an independent company, but they do a ton of work for us. So, they're there picking up the beer, taking it to the wholesaler. It's getting unloaded that afternoon and sent to retailers that day. There is nobody doing a better job of getting fresh beer in the market. So, um, I mean, again, it is like Dan said, you're not going to find a beer that is six months or a year or something yeah. old on the shelves. We really are checking our dates. Okay. But, um, we do it so that the customers don't have to. And it really, it isn't like milk where, oh, we get past this day and suddenly it's no good. It Flavors change in beer, but there's no pathogens in there that grow that will make you sick. It mm -hmm. might taste uh, cardboardy or not as bright as we wish, but it isn't going to be horrific. And even having said that, our beer is super fresh and we're really proud of it. Well, there you go. So... That, I think, is going to do it for us today. I, I thank you guys for your time, especially getting both of you in the same room at the same time in the brewery, which is a a rare thing. So I really do want to say I, I appreciate the time you give to me to do this, and I appreciate the answers uh, you gave us on those two questions. I'm, I'm sure our listeners will appreciate that too. And thank you for educating us all about what a, a wassail is and where you'll be able to get it uh, December 2nd through the 4th at the Chris, the Chris Kindle Market in New Glarus. So we hope to see See you guys down there. Thanks, Scott. Yeah, thanks, Scott. Good nope, job. No problem. You guys have a good one.